0: Hey, Connect family, Uh, PD here. I want to welcome you to church today, Church Online. Love you guys. So proud of you for uh, continuing to be here and worship with us this way. I know some of you can't be here in person and uh, for different reasons. And so we're just glad to be able to do community together this way. I look forward in some cases when you can be with us. Uh, God is moving in our church. He's moving in person and he's moving online. But listen, um, today we're getting ready to start a new series. It's kind of a bold series. Um, by way of introduction, I would say um, we're kind of known, especially if you're listening for the first time, if you're you know, somewhere out of our area or out of our local church community, we're kind of known for going there. Do you know what I mean? Like we go there. And uh, sometimes I don't like to be known for that because um, it has certain assignments with it and difficult conversations that need to transpire. And this is gonna be like one of those series. We've entitled this series STD. Yeah, you heard me right. But it stands for Socially Transmitted Diseases. And um, I'll try to get this more, you know, um, synthesized as we go forward. But we're really dealing with how to live in culture and influence. The retain integrity and still be able to um, obtain influence? How do we stand firm in our beliefs and how do we love well at the same time? So that is going to be our task. Today's message is more like an opener, just kind of an intro that really is more of a conversation um, than a message. And so it's going, to, it's going to answer some questions and it might even provoke uh, some thoughts and certainly might even leave you with more questions. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at the life of Daniel, um, who is the awesome example next to Jesus, Uh, not even close, but you know what I'm saying, another great example next to Jesus of how to do what I uh, just described. And so, Connect says this, they say, you know, to grow here, sometimes we got to go there. So let's go, okay? I'm going to pray. Father God, I ask you to help me to do a good job with this message. Help me to... uh, transfer not translate what you would have me say and uh lord i hope that it is beneficial Lord, i i i want to invite people into a conversation i don't want to push people away from it so help me do that well in jesus name and everybody said amen now you may not realize this but when it comes i'm going to kind of get comfortable today because this is more of a conversation Uh, My voice might not fluctuate that much um, just because of the nature of the topic. But when it comes to the state of our world today, I don't know if you realize this, and I'm speaking specifically of the Western culture, Christians are the majority. Did you know that? Statistically, Christians are the majority. But sadly, we are not the primary influence in our nation right now. Um, Controversial right away. The LGBTQ community in our nation makes up about two to three percent of the population, but that community's influence is pervasive. It is major on our society today. And I'm just stating that so that we can see a, a contrast or we can paint a picture as it were. And so what is up with the Christian community or what happened to the Christian community? How did we lose that primary position of influence. And I'll just say it like this, I think that we have lost our influence in many cases progressively because we've lost our integrity. We've lost our integrity. In other words, people are not listening to us because they don't see it working for us. Um, They don't see the translation of what we say transferred into how um how we live for example when it comes to divorce and this is just one example of many we could give but when it comes to divorce there's as much uh divorce in christian couples as there are in non-christian couples and yet we're going to tell people how they should live in their marriages we've we've lost our integrity we've lost our credibility and so we've lost our influence and we've lost our ability to um you know, uh, speak into that situation. So integrity and influence are in essence, I think you believe this, inextricably linked. We are like, one person said, we're like, we're like Judas. We have, we're associated with Jesus, but we've betrayed him with kisses. You know, we've, we've um, we're kind of living a different gospel. We're, we're saying we're lined up, but yet we're not seeing it line up in our lives. In fact, more the the different gospel today um, is we've gone from the gospel, the good news. It's morphed into a social gospel, and now it's become listen a silent gospel, a silent gospel, and you don't see the influence there anymore. And it's got to make you think. I, I grew up in church, okay, so I've seen this metamorphosis. I've seen these, these alterations and iterations within the church. I, I grew up in the church. I slept at church. I, I I slept in revivals, as I was saying just recently. And I never, I'm going to say something. Uh, I'll just give a couple examples. I don't want to be too edgy today, but I never thought I'd see the day that we're in today where, um, people in Christianity would come to the place where what, is being promoted is that that Jesus isn't the way he's a way to God I never thought I'd see that that kind of message but with the deconstruction of Christianity we see a different look a different vantage point on John chapter 14 verse 6 where Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except exclusively by and through me Jesus said that I, I didn't say that but we see people saying, I know Jesus said that, but yeah, no, he's not the only way, uh, he's a way. Um, and, 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 and there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts chapter 4 verse 12. So I never thought I'd see the day where Christians would, would say that, but yet 77% of, America, of Americans, uh, which claims to be a Christian nation, says he's a way, he's a way. I never believed that I'd see the day where we would redefine traditional marriage. We'd redefine marriage and, 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 and you, can see the, you can see the progressive acceptance of this within the church. And so we've gotten away in, in, in my lifetime over, over the original design that we would see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And systematically, I would say, systematically it's been redefined. And worse yet, many, including myself in a, me- in a measure, have been silent about this. Uh, the majority remain silent. And so we have had to do some things within our church, for those of you who are part of our family, to, to update our bylaws, to make certain things very clear, make certain things are, are in our statement of faith emphatically. And, and just so you know, behind the scenes, we're, we're working to uh, protect the sacred message uh, of, of, of the, and the truths, the, the incorruptible truths of God's Word. But how then, if these things are happening, how do we maintain our integrity and restore our influence? How do we get that back, PD? How do we do that? And it's a great question, and I don't know that I can answer all that today, uh, but I think we need to learn some things. I'll say that. I think that the modern generation is biblically illiterate. And I'm not saying that to be offensive, I'm just saying it's it's just simply a fact. I think we are coasting on the coattails of our our parents and our parents' parents' understanding, and and we haven't uh, learned how to bring what we should know into the current times in which we're in, and we don't know the the times that we're in and how to apply truth to it. And, And I think we all, in essence, we gotta learn some, the big word, we gotta learn some apologetics. We gotta know what we believe. But I think it's not exclusive to learning what we believe. I think we need to know what we believe, listen, in whom we have believed, the Bible says, and how to apply what we believe. What we believe, pointing to our head, who we believe in is really pointing to heaven, and then how we apply what we believe is really pointing uh, to the earth. I don't think we have those three things in synergy with each other. And this is important because there is a massive shift in culture taking place. Right before our eyes, maybe better said, right underneath our nose. And people are moving their beliefs to match their behavior instead of moving their behavior to match their beliefs. Because their beliefs have been what? and who and how we believe has been completely undermined. And so how do we handle and overcome this shift? We need to learn, first and foremost, I think, not only what I previously said, but I also think we need to understand a little bit about spiritual warfare. I don't know if this will come back into the message later, but you know, in every age, in every stage historically, there has been a particular uh, spirit of the age. The Bible calls it a spirit of the age. There are different rulers, and this is a little for some of you that are new to church this might go over your head a little bit but the bible talks about rulers and principalities and powers of darkness over not only areas but also over seasons and 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 so we don't battle that on an intellectual level we don't we don't battle it exclusively on a relational level sometimes those things have to be they have to be overcome on a spiritual level the bible says not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the lord and so sometimes i don't have the answer for how to over for this situation and for this scenario and for this circumstance i don't i don't have a A, yeah, you know, I just don't have one. And so, what do you do? The Holy Spirit is going to have to help you overcome what at the root is a spirit of the age. And so, today I'd like to start with answering some questions. Um, and, and some challenges that are facing our church and the church of Jesus Christ. I hope you're with me, everybody, uh, listening. And I hope that you can interact within the chat with everybody there. So today in our STD series, kicking this off, I'm going to deal with some cultural concerns with uh, a little emphasis on uh, sexuality. Because I think there's, there, it's kind of a hot topic right now. It's a big topic within our church, within our leadership, within our youth. Uh, our next generation and so I I might dig into that uh, just a little bit. Uh, A 30,000 foot view and we're just gonna frame some things with kind of three distinct observations but first I want to share a story that I've shared before here at Connect because I don't have a better uh, picture uh, or frame for uh, uh, this subject and uh, about how dependent we are on the Holy Spirit to be able to handle a lot of the cultural concerns and maintain our integrity and and continue to grow our influence. Um, a few years back, actually many years back now, maybe more like uh, uh, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, we moved into a neighborhood right here in Ashland, bought a house, and uh, there's a fence between two properties. Um, Neighbors across the street we lived on a cul-de-sac. Neighbors over here and neighbors. There's three neighbors surrounded us, and at at one point in time living there, all uh, three homes surrounding us were um, um, uh, homosexual couples living there, and I just want to say no judgment. Uh, They two out of the three became close friends of ours, Um, but. I wasn't raised to um, to even. Um, I was just raised very different. I wasn't raised to know how to interact with that. What 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 does that look like uh, for me? You know, I, I just I was kind of I, I was raised in a Bible thumping, you know, church, and and so I was just like, Lord, what what is this? Is this is this an assignment for me? And how do I live? How do I love well? and stand firm on some things that we believe. And so one day, uh, my neighbors didn't know I was a preacher, a pastor in the, in the town in which we lived. And one day my neighbor was mowing his lawn and he stopped and he yelled over to me, hey, hey, come here for a sec, come here for a sec. And um, I get closer, I'm like, oh, sure, sure, sure. And we're right on the, the fence line and he says, he says so, Pastor Derek, I uh, hear you're a pastor in town. And as soon as he said that, I was like, oh boy, you know. And I, and I had this immediate, like, instantaneous picture of a difficult conversation coming with some potential for conflict. And for some of you that are a Christian, and for some of you that might even be uh, 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 you know, uh, a homosexual, you can probably imagine the potential conflict, right? Opposing viewpoints, possibly, and how do we mitigate those? And so in that moment, my heart was to be uh, successful relationally with my neighbor, because I actually liked this guy. And I kind of threw up a flare prayer. Like there was no long term. There was like, this is said, Holy Spirit, phew, help me right now. In my mind, it's what I said. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit dropped. I'm just going to call it some, some, a word of wisdom, a word of wisdom, a question of wisdom. And I said, I won't say his name, but let's just say his name is Jim. Uh, Jim, before you say what you're going to say, because he had just said, after he said, hey, Pastor Derek, I have a question for you. So then I said, before you ask me that question, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure. And I said, I think I know what you're going to talk to me about or what you're going to ask me. And so can we agree to disagree on some things and still be friends, because I like you. And what seemed like an eternity, waiting for his response, with his arms crossed on the other side of the fence, I mean, I think sweat was going down my back. I was like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here? And then he just stuck his hand out over the fence line. This, it was almost like a spiritual line of demarcation. The wall was breached. He shook my hand, he said, sure. He goes, never mind. And he never asked me the question. And in that instant, what took place? I was able to retain my witness and not compromise convictions. I was able to stand firm and love well. He knew and I knew we had different uh, beliefs and convictions, and yet we exalted relationship above rights and wrongs, and in the process, we might actually come to a place of agreement in the future. I believe, and the reason I share that is, it is possible, and I want to exclamation points, emojis after that, it is possible to stand firm in our faith and love our neighbors who may or may not believe or have and hold the same convictions we do. You actually do it every day. So the question is, can we agree to disagree and still be friends? I believe the answer is yes. You're gonna have to decide that for yourself. So There's this real problem today that leads me to three kind of critical observations, three observations, and I'm going to name them all first. We have a sociological observation that I want to talk about, a theological observation, and a relational observation. First, let's talk about kind of the sociological observation. In other words, we need to see and look before we can be the influence and restore integrity, we need to see what kind of culture are we actually in right now. Romans 12, 18 in your notes, look at it with me. It says, we are advised from the world, it says this, if it be possible, for, excuse me, from the word, if it be possible, as far as depends on you and me as Christians, live at peace with everyone. Look at that instruction, okay? It's not saying live at war, you know, join a militia, you know, stand for what you're against. No. So this includes people who do not believe like us. We should work towards and do everything comprehensively possible to live at peace with people. And I often get asked by people like, P.D., how do you respond to non-believers who accuse Christians of being hateful to people who support lifestyles that are not in accordance with the principles of our faith? Something like that happens all the time. And I would just say, we need wisdom with that type of question. But first, before you answer the question, I want you to see I want you to see from a 30,000 foot view what's going on. What kind of culture are we in right now? Write this down. Culture looks through three lenses. These lenses relate to certain absolutes for us. The first one is a theonomous culture. Theo, God, onimous, law. God, God is law. God dictates to culture what is right, what is wrong shouldn't it be that way shouldn't the creator get to decide how the created lives some of us believe that god is the creator but we don't believe he has the rights and privileges of the creator over the created which is really really interesting but the law this theonomous culture some are some are and some are live under and subscribe and submit to this believe that god's law is supposed to be embedded in our hearts and when it is we emotively think and behave uh, the same way, the early framers of our country uh, would say something like, "We hold these truths to be self-evident." Um, not an easy word to try to unpack, but I can remember when uh, down the street here, uh, I, I was the principal of our school, and we used to have—it um, uh, um, wasn't a large population, but we had a Asian population which would come to our church with their ch- come to our school with their children, and we were a Christian school, and so we, when we would interview in the admissions process, wanted to know the modes of discipline that they employed in their home so that we could come alongside them as a supplement, not a substitute for them, but we knew we were gonna have to bring discipline from time to time in an elementary school. So we would ask them, what are your modes of discipline? And they would say, we don't have any. And I would say, well, how's that possible? What do you do when he doesn't do what you say or doesn't submit or yield to you? And they would say, he doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. They, they just do what we say. And it's because there had been um, generations of, of conditioning and indoctrination and honor and, and an understanding of authority. And, 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 and they were it was in essence self-evident within the homes. And so that's what it looks like in a theonomous culture. Then we have another framework to look through is a, hetero, a heteron- heteronymous heteronymous culture and hetero is heter is another and anonymous of course is law this where this is where the few dictate the rules that dictate the law uh, the few dictate dictate what happens to mainstream culture uh, from the leadership is from the top that's why you've got things like Mar- Marxism and and Islam and and you see this in like Saudi Arabia, you see this like in Seoul, Korea, uh, the few tell the masses what they can eat and, when, and, and, and what they have to fast and when they can be see, seen and how they could be seen and, 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 and the dictates of life and how you wash your hands and your feet uh, before you worship. And, and are we one of those though in America? The answer is absolutely not. We are, we, for the most part in our country, we are lastly an autonomous culture. Auto-self-autonomous self-law. Self dictates law. Self dictates the rules. Each person determines their own moral uh, uh, prerogatives. It's my prerogative. You know, remember the Bobby Brown song? No? Okay. But so, so what lens are we looking through primarily within America today? And and is this important? We're looking through an autonomous culture for sure. And this this, um, view that we're looking through and this, this approach that we're subscribing to has created a dilemma in our country and in our culture. And we'll talk about this in the coming weeks and unpack more of it. So in an autonomous culture, the problem is, let's say with regards to sexuality, if I'm going to give someone in this autonomous mindset my view of sexuality, are they going to give me the privilege (laughs) of giving my answer and the tolerance for that, the the former definition of tolerance. In other words, now if they don't like it, what happens is I give my answer, the autonomous person switches to a heteronymous um, approach and they will attempt to dictate to me or to us what we must believe. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in an autonomous culture, what ends up happening is self-rule, self-dictated law, I decide what's right or wrong. So that view can, can switch to imposing on you what you believe and it switches to this heteronymous culture and this heteronymous view. In an autonomous culture, when one disagrees with your posture, your position, they switch often and this creates our current sociological dilemma. And we will never have unity in an autonomous culture. It's impossible. It creates cultural conflict. It's, I would say, diabolical. And this is what happened in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, in the latter part of the book of Judges, everyone did what was seemed to be right in their own eyes, and listen, there was chaos, and this happened in the book of Judges, and it ultimately brought judgment. An autonomous culture will bring conflict, chaos, and ultimately judgment. So the real problem that we're experiencing today is the spirit of the age. We need the Holy Spirit to help us with this sociological problem that we're experiencing. And just like the Holy Spirit dropped wisdom to me in that conversation with my neighbor, He can drop wisdom to you with your neighbors and your friends and your family as well. Look at what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the Gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Okay, so we gave our first observation uh, the sociological. Now we're going to give the theological, okay? This is about, well, what do we believe? And as Christians, again, we sometimes have this biblical illiteracy. And I'm, I'm not gonna read all of these texts, but I, I have a couple texts on like sexuality and race that the Bible prescribes for us as Christ followers. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute or with someone else? Uh, skipping down, uh, I think to like verse 20, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? You're God's house. You know, if you were to have a guest, you would have your house clean. You would make sure, you know, that it was it was ready, it was prepared. And um, a lot of us are not looking at it that way. And why should we look at it that way? Because the Bible says you're not your own. You were bought at a price. What did, what, who, who bought you? Jesus on Calvary. Because you didn't have to get your body on, on the cross. Jesus put his uh, perfect, sinless... Uh, body on the cross for you and I but so he wants us in exchange not to die on the cross but to give our uh, give ourselves our bodies that's one area that we give back to God to bring honor to God so then it says therefore honor God with your body in Romans chapter 6 it says so don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil its evil desires now we have to separate sometimes uh, attraction, and, uh, you, know, from, uh, you know, from the lifestyle. You could have uh, an attraction to something. You could be tempted for something. That doesn't mean uh, that that is sin. It's giving in to that attraction and giving into that sin that, that, that's the pro- Giving into that temptation, excuse me, that is the sin. And because of my understanding of real love, by the way, God's, God's, God's rules... Uh, regarding love help me rule my body. Um, I keep his word and because of that, God blesses it. Uh, the, the world sees love through one lane, eros or the sexual or the romantic. But there's four aspects of love by definition biblically. And when we subscribe to the biblical definition of love, We're more able to submit ourselves and see the reward and blessing for that. And so um, uh, that's on the sexuality side. So grace isn't do whatever you want. Grace is God's empowered you to not do what you shouldn't do. Well, you, and not give in to those things. It gives you the power to say no, as it were. Um, when it comes to race, the Bible says in John chapter 7, verse 24, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. In other words, don't look at the outside. Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. No, uh, is there male, there's male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Look at how God looks at the people uh, on the earth today. So many people in our culture have a problem with Christianity um, and, 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 and they have a problem with how Christians speak about uh, certain things in certain subjects. And, and, and though Christians are not okay with race, racism, um, we, can, we can often discriminate against lesbians, homosexuals, transgenders, all of, all of those communities. And the, and the world wants to know, how do you explain that? How do you not discriminate here, but you discriminate over there? Or at least it looks like we do. And as Christians, we believe um, discrimination ethically is absolutely wrong. Or, or we should as Christians. Because the race and ethnicity of a person is sacred. It's sacred. In other words, you can't violate a person's of ethnicity and race, because it's a sacred gift from God. Now, here's what should happen. Similarly, the reason that we believe in an absolute uh, regarding sac- the sacredness of our, of our race, we believe in an absolute regarding the sacredness of our sex- sexuality. We believe sexuality is sacred as well. It's sacred as well. It's, in other words, it's a gift from God. Uh, he not only determined uh, where we'd live, um, when we would live like it says uh, in Acts chapter 17, but he also um, he also predetermined our gender He predetermined um, uh, our race. those are sacred gifts from God and, and and so it's not it's not discrimination. that's how sometimes the world or culture is saying, and describing it for us. It's not discrimination. We believe in predetermination. Our our sexuality was assigned at birth. Um, Our race was assigned at birth. And so it's not discriminatory, it's not discrimination, it's predetermination by God. And there's a big difference. And so sometimes we have to know what we believe and how to describe and explain what we believe. And I find it interesting sometimes uh, that the, 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 the more liberal community can tell me that race is in fact sacred, yet we desacralize sexuality and I think they're one and the same. So our focus as Christians should not be on sin, but on that which is sacred. It shouldn't be on sin But we'll talk about this at the end, but more on the soul. So we believe race and sexuality is sacred. And so um, in our society, we see people that are expressing freedom of choice, which God gave us this powerful spiritual muscle we call choice. Uh, Some refer to it as free will agency. It was given to us in the beginning. You know, as soon as we could cognitively decide yes or no, blessing or cursing, life or death, choose which one. God gave us that. It's the most powerful. It's more powerful than your pectorals and your quadriceps is choice. Okay. But what culture has not accepted, and as Christians we must is, because uh, we see these things very differently, while God gives us the prerogative of choice, He does not allow us to separate from the consequences of those choices, as they contrast to a theonomous uh, viewpoint. So choices for Christians, choices and their consequences, are inseparable, good or bad, and we are and will uh, continue to uh, experience certain consequences when we don't fully submit and yield to God's original design for relationships. So theologically, we see it like this. Sociologically, we have this huge dilemma, and now the hardest one of all, relational. Relational. This is how do we communicate what we believe. This is the hardest one of all. Now, Jesus not only had, Jesus didn't have so much a position as he had a posture. Um, and you can see it every time you see Jesus interact with people uh, on the earth. And people that didn't know him, believe like him and understand. He had a certain posture. We would call that life-giving in our culture. But in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says, As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. He, said, he comes up to the tax collector and says, by the way, tax collectors are lowest in the culture at this time, the worst kind of sinners there that you could be. He says, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. I can't imagine how influential he must have been or what his reputation or integrity, uh, how, how he was known. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. He always stood firm but he attracted people to himself when the Pharisees saw this they asked why does the teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners on hearing this Jesus said it's not the health you need a doctor but the sick but go and learn what this means you need to you need to you need to figure this out I desire mercy not sacrifice for I've not you all those things you're doing all those works you're doing you don't get it. I need you to show mercy to these people I need to be close and personal with them. For I have not come to call the righteous. People are trying to do all the rights and wrongs. I've called I'm coming to people who are disconnected from me, far from me, don't know me. And people often say, "I love everyone. I don't judge anyone." Okay, great. Good for you. That may be true, but often at the same time that we're saying, "I don't judge anyone. I love everyone," we are unwilling, unable, even uncaring about the individual's eternity about their freedom and about their purpose. I submit to you that if we're not engaging the culture that doesn't think like us, that doesn't believe like us, that doesn't have the freedom we have, that doesn't have the benefits that we're experiencing in the economy and kingdom of God, we're not really caring and we are in fact judging them. We're rendering them judged uh, uh, by their sin because we're not getting in there to show them how to get free from it. In other words, It's bestowed upon us by God to influence those around us with the love of God and the ways of God. The love and the ways of God. That is when loving everyone becomes a little bit harder in the current culture in which we live. That's why we need to understand the sociological and theological as well, so we can be more successful in the relationship. And I think the secret to standing firm, super summary, super simplistic, while we are communicating what we believe, we do it by building relationship. It's not hold my Bible, this is what I believe, take it or leave it, you're you're there, I'm here, uh, you know, no, it's, it's not the, that's not the message. We must come to the realization that our world, oh my gosh, our world needs healing and we're the hands and feet of Jesus to that world. And if we don't do it, it won't get done. And this can be very, very hard sometimes if we are honest, but I believe when we lean in to people who believe different, uh, to those who are different, God will come close to us and he will help us, uh. I got so many stories that would tell, but I want to tell one because, uh, real quickly, my one of my closest friends in ministry his name is named Matoga. He's preached here many times. He comes from Malawi, Africa. In fact, he just did a crusade there last month. And in Africa, they have a certain agitation and aversion to the homosexual community, to the gay community. So when he came to America, though as a Christian, he knew that was wrong to have. Certain attitudes and have a certain mindset, it was just conditioned into him. And he so he wouldn't engage that community, he wouldn't try to love and lean into that community at all. Listen, until one day he got a phone call and his wife picks up the phone, it's his wife's sister. And his wife's sister proceeds to tell Michelle that she's coming out um, and that she's going to be getting married to uh, someone of the same sex, and um, at that moment, everything changed for Zenzo. Why? Because it became personal. Because it became personal. See, when things become personal, for good or for bad, our heart changes. Our heart changes. This is a critical component of influence and integrity in relationships and changing our culture for good. I think it's a huge secret to the dilemma that we are facing with the LGBTQ community. I think it's a huge secret and component to people that are, tr- are considering transitioning their sexuality and their orientation. I think it's a huge component, as it was with people who went through divorce, as people who went through cohabitation, as people who came out of addictive backgrounds, as people who've come out of mental health. The sensitivities to those different struggles increased when it became personal, when it became personal, and so we must engage the community, extend open arms, hold fast our faith, but it's so important that we become personal, uh, that we have a personal part of that. If you here's another point I want to throw out. If your points push people away, then maybe your points are pointless. A lot of us can't wait to point out what's wrong with their arguments or their positions. And I think your points are pointless if we're pushing people away. How do we retain influence as we're doing it? And I think that Jesus knew how to draw people in and point things out. And I think for us, our job is to draw people in and let the Holy Spirit point things out. But a lot of us are very uncomfortable with being distributors of the grace of God because we're more afraid about breaking the rules. And that's why we have a silent gospel today, not a social gospel, and not the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God wants to restore that and bring that back. Another story real quickly, my friend Anthony Miles, um, and I hope I can do justice to this, but he, he's, just, he's a big brother, pastors of church in New Hampshire, Granite United. He had a homosexual c- couple come into the church, two guys, great people. They loved the church. They were welcomed with open arms. Uh, they, at one point, uh, heard the gospel, accepted uh, the, the salvation message, gave their lives to Jesus, and decided to get water baptized. And the church had a decision to make. Would they, were they going to baptize them? For some of you, that may seem like no-brainer, of course. Uh, but in, in a lot of Christian circles, that would be a big deal. And they decided to baptize them. The two guys went home, and when they went home that night, something happened in their hearts. And they decided, of their own volition, to sleep in different rooms that night. And then later they reported to the pastor and said, um, we realized that a lot of the reasons why we went in the direction uh, and the orientation that we ultimately yielded to was because of the acceptance that we were receiving there and not here. But when we received the full love of God the Father and it was expressed well through the local church, we committed our lives to Jesus and we realized We don't want to live that way anymore. And one of the people said, but will you accept me as I am? He actually had had an irreversible surgery uh, to become a man, and he was concerned that he would be accepted. And the pastor said in so many words, we're not concerned primarily about your sin. We're concerned about your soul. I think God will give us uh, a focus to deal with some of the current cultural concerns, instances, and scenarios, if we can make sure that our primary function, our primary focus is making it personal, our primary function and focus is not focusing on sin, but on the soul. So how do we become more relational? I would say this as I begin to wrap things up. Be known for what you love, not what you hate. Love, you know, we always say love the sinner, hate the sin. That doesn't work anymore, you know, because our current culture says... You know, what I do is who I am. And so I think if it's real love, though, it will work and it will penetrate and it will get through. But we can't just make a phrase and make a statement that is not backed up uh, by the demonstrative and by true acceptance and love. Another one is be known for what we're for and not against. And I think we need to change some of our methodology for this to be present. I'm not saying we don't make a stand. I'm just saying that it's grace and truth. And I see a non-condemning message first before there's a truth message. And we see that in the life of Jesus over and over again. Number uh, Another point, I didn't put a number to it, but focus on individuals, not ideologies. Bottom line is when you do this, it's going to get messy. Grace is messy. But in the mess, you might discover the why people are the way they are and help unlock the freedom that God has for them. This has happened over and over again in in, in my ministry. I've failed many times but we've had success other times because we focused on the individual. Their story becomes something for God's glory. Churches also must go on journeys with people and not destinations. Don't quit on people. Don't give up on people. Understand that God is working. Sometimes you'll have a conversation, look like nothing went right, and they come back. A lot of people say yes and then they live no. A lot of people look like it's no, but eventually it becomes a yes. As a church, also build bridges and not barriers. Create space for grace to go to work in people's lives. Because we're supposed to have, you know, it's not about just, you know, Uh, rules without relationship rules without relationship equals rebellion we don't want that sympathize with with sins outside of our comfort zone this is a big one how do I do that well you know we've done it with people struggling with lust we've done it with people struggling with anger and so we we have in sometimes in the church these universal sins that are acceptable but we need to uh, open up a little bit wider we need to be able to see things a little bit broader. And that's why your theology is so important that we have the same sympathies that we have towards someone who's cohabitating and someone who went through a divorce and someone who went through uh, you know, uh, AA. We need to have the same sympathies for people who are in struggles in different types of sins now, whether they be sexual or otherwise. And so why are we so shocked what people decide to do outside of relationship with Jesus? Why are we so shocked about that? Which leads me to my final point. We shouldn't be scared of the dark secrets that might surface. See, because when darkness comes out, always something good co- can, can come out of that process. When, you know, a lot of times people uh, um, are coming out and, and if people could feel like they could be honest here, I don't think they would come out, out there. And I want to be a church, and I hope you do too, where there is safe harbor. If we're going to influence culture, and culture is not going to impose its will on us, this needs to be a place of safety where people can be totally honest. That does not mean we don't share truth, but the order is important. Acceptance first, truth second. We're not here to expose those lies. We're here to expel them expel them from people's lives. So coming out, this is who I am. This is my behavior. Being honest is I'm struggling with my beliefs and that's where we can begin to help everybody. So listen, I want to pray for you wherever you are. I want to invite you to more conversation during this STD series. Don't miss next week as we talk about how to marry grace And truth. How do we deal with the the manipulative mindset sometimes that culture tries to condition us and indoctrinate us in? I promise you it's going to be powerful. But if God's grace isn't good for all people and all sin, then God's grace isn't good for anyone or anybody's sin. So with your head bowed and your eye closed wherever you are, if you're far from God, I want to pray for you because God wants to give you and offer you first and foremost grace. If you've never received the grace of God, it is a gift. You cannot earn, deserve, pay for it. Do penance for it. Work for it. The Bible says in Ephesians two, It's for by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, or man would boast about it." If you want that gift today, all you have to do is open it. A gift unopened is 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 um is a is a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a gift without value, it's valueless. But opened, it has tremendous value. So if you're ready to open your heart, I want you to raise your hand right there in the chat and say, that's me, I wanna receive Jesus Christ. I wanna know him as my personal Lord and Savior. And PD, I want you to pray with me. I wanna open that gift of salvation right now. Father, for every person that's saying yes, I pray that you would come into their life. Just say it with me, say, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you today. I'm saying yes to the gift of salvation. I receive, by grace through faith, salvation. Now, Father, for every person who said that sincerely from their heart, I pray that you would transmit, transfer, not by transaction, Lord, not by information, but transformation from the inside out, that they are a new person, a new creature in Christ Jesus, in accordance with your word, I believe today, they're a, a believer, a Christ follower, and their identity is in Him now, not in what they do, but in who they know in Jesus' name. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, I want you to text CC save to 97000. We want to help you on your spiritual journey. We want to help you move forward to the next step. If you need prayer... Hey, just tell somebody right there in the chat. I want to talk to somebody. I got a couple questions. PD provoked this and I I want to chat about it. Or you have a particular need. Don't leave until somebody prays for you today. I want to say what an honor it was to have you with us today. Thank you for being here on Connect Online. I'll see you next week as we continue our series. God bless.